Hello, welcome to episode 62 of the Tomato Timer. I'm so pleased to invite onto this episode Ayan Saeed. Ayan is the co-founder, sorry, the founder of Voicing Voices. Um, she co-designs and teaches human-centered solutions that enable us all to embrace an equitable future. She has several years of experience in education and development industry, a master's degree in gender education and international development, and committed to embedding systemic strategies that resolve inequalities. And it's so good to have you. How are you? Thank you for inviting me. I'm really good. Happy uh, mid mid Wednesday. So midweek is a nice little midweek conversation. 100%. Um, I want to kick off with understanding a little bit about what Voicing Voices is and how it, what what sparked you to to launch it. Um, with I feel like now being on the other side, that everything I've been doing throughout my entire life has led me to Voicing Voices. So I see Voicing mm. Voices as a body of work of the different experiences, both professionally and personally. But um, what really sparked it for me to actually give it a space, so Voicing Voices is essentially a space where we can voice our voices, have representation in different systems and gaps that we just keep overlooking generation after generation. Yeah. And I couldn't find something that, or a space where I could express all my intersectional factors as a black Muslim, British, Somali woman that, you know, migrated to England when I was a child. So it just accumulates all the experiences we have mm. and holds a safe space where we can be like, hey, this is my experience, this is my insights, and this is what's going on in these different spaces, and just bringing that to the to decision-making spaces and into policy development and kind of bringing us all together through globalization and all the different things we're experiencing. And you started off with your experience in the education sector. You were a teacher. Um, what was it like when you were when you were teaching and what were the challenges you faced that led you to you know, leaving that leaving that industry and coming to be to do voicing voices and and all the great stuff that you've been doing since. Um, education for me, I feel like it's both healing, it's both connecting, it's the foundation of any progress. Once you mm. kind of understand the fundamental and position of education and and how it can connect us and overcome our challenges, I think I found yeah. it very empowering. So I've always loved education. Becoming a teacher, it just happened to me. If I say like it just in the term, I started tutoring whilst I was studying biomedical science. So I loved science. I love yeah. understanding biology. For me, science is like a miracle, you know, on seeing mm. all the amazing things that are happening to our bodies internally, the physics of it, how chemistry works. You know, there was just yeah. I really enjoyed the scientific space. But I also kind of wanted to share that with young people. And I wanted to get it to um, empower you through education, essentially. So I became a teacher, secondary school teacher. Mm -hmm. And I realized that age group, especially from like 11 to 18 years, that's such a fundamental age. Everything we experience in that space, in that period, helps mm -hmm. develop what adults we're going to become, how we navigate yeah. the world, the different experiences we encounter, how to. And I just felt like the education system lacked applicable future it didn't make us future ready enough you know in terms of empathy and in terms of critical thinking questioning yeah. all of these things were missing and they were missing in my time you know so it was like why hasn't it improved why hasn't the education system changed why hasn't the education system not humanized especially marginalized communities who are dealing yeah. with different 
factors. It's not, everything is standardized. And as humans, we've got so many parts to us and aspects to us. And I feel like our current system doesn't honor that enough. So I came into consultancy to help design strategies that are human-centered that can help us progress towards our goals. And you've worked on projects with you know, United Nations Women uh, and, and a lot of other amazing organizations, specifically talking about you know, creating safe spaces and uh, looking at that, the gender, gender divide and gender inequality. So what, even in the education space and more broadly as well, as you feel free to share, um, what are the challenges specifically for, for women um, that you've seen and witnessed, especially considering the intersectionalities that you, you hold as well? I feel um, when I say gender, when, when we discuss gender equality or gender equity, I feel like as a result of these, um, as a result of being a woman, for example, you are faced with, you are disproportionately faced with challenges that male counterparts might not face. As a mm -hmm. result, again, I think one of the main things that encapsulate women into a certain space that doesn't allow them to achieve their full potential or to break barriers and things like that is shame and guilt. I think we're boxed into, before we're born, you know, we're boxed into a certain framework or a certain picture of who we should be. And if we navigate away from that or try to push against these barriers that have been placed upon us, it becomes, oh my God, what is she doing? You know, what's going on? And especially if you're from a certain culture or a certain religion or a certain background, yeah. it yeah. really becomes difficult to break free from that. So I, I believe that for me, all the structures and all the barriers that are, holding us down or limiting our potential are man-made. These are patriarchal structures that are in, whether it's the education system, the healthcare system, our workplaces. And what we're seeking to do is to provide access to say, no, actually, that isn't how it needs to be. We can redesign a future where we can both meet our full potential, but exist as human beings that are with human dignity, with basic human rights of having a voice to say, hey, this is what makes me happy. This is what my needs are. These are what my challenges are. Where are we? Where are the spaces for that? To put human voices into the decisions that we're making in these structures and systems. Mm. And sorely, sorely missing. Um, I remember uh, speaking to you earlier that you shared quite a few of those projects that you actually worked on. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about the the specific ways you you went about implementing them because it was fascinating to hear and I'd love to share it with the rest of our audience as well. Thank you so much. Um, so initially our main frame, we have a framework where we, any of the projects that we do or any of the consultancy services that we offer, mm -hmm. we have a framework on a four level basis in a, on an individual level. So whatever projects that we're doing or whatever insights we're gathering, what are the individual, what is the individual context around that? And then, for example, if we look at gender-based violence or the UN Women UK project you mentioned with Living Proof, where we um, design, where we wanted to find out why and how can we make London safer, public spaces safer for women, and yeah. we gathered insights from women around London who were ex who were using public transport systems, who were travelling different times of the day, and said, "How do you feel? And what do, what does what does a different future look like?" How are you reimagining a different? What would make you feel safer? Mm -hmm. And that's the individual basis of hearing the needs of the stakeholders or the communities we're impacting. And then the second part is community building. So it's one thing to empower an individual, but if the community is oppressing that individual from being empowered, then we're going around in circles. It's not systemic enough. 
So then it's about raising awareness within communities of human rights, of um, different support systems, different organizations, bringing a sense of community to address the challenges that we have. And then our other two levels address societal levels. So our education system, our healthcare system, why are you know one in four women more likely to die from childbirth? How, you know, hey, we've got the data, we've got the research, what's the reasons behind that? And how can we make women feel more safer within with these structures and systems that have marginalized them for so long? So that's kind of our, it's a very holistic and systemic approach. And in that way, it's more sustainable and we can enroll more people to be engaged with it so that we can act rather than just speaking about change. Yeah, I love that. And I, I love the combination that you describe of this kind of amplification of the people facing the problem, which mm. are, as, you, as you've always said that, that, and I love voicing voices for that very reason, because it's about amplifying the voices which may not have the, the space, the, 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 the places to describe themselves and share their, their challenges. And then combining that with systemic, systemic change, because that's the only way those, those, those changes are implemented, right? Um, there's the, the kind of the, you can be advocating and campaigning for something for, for years and years, but if the change is not happening, uh, you're not, that's not going to, it's not going to affect those, not that, not that just that person who's spoken about it, but actually the, the hundreds and thousands and millions sometimes of people who are, who, who, who are in that community, who are marginalized, who are disadvantaged. I, I want to continue to talk about this. And one thing that we, we kind of really initially mentioned it about intersectionality. What are the challenges when it comes to these um, the compounding effects of the different intersectionalities that we belong to? Um, and how are you, um, how do you think we can, we can start tackling this as, as a society? Because um, more than ever before, we are, we're recognizing that we don't all, uh, you know, come from the same uh, sets of advantages, but how does that how, how do we bring that representation and that change at systemic levels so if, if we um i think the way we're looking at this is that with all these different intersectional factors that we've especially if i bring it in back into context diversity and inclusion right mm. we've seen that come about a lot over the recent years so much more yeah. talk about it so much more investment you know you've got investors that are going into businesses and investing and saying yep let's support women let's support um, um businesses that are owned by owned by marginalized groups or you know there's this uh, beautiful and i think it really shows the power of unity the power of education again of raising awareness and saying these are the struggles these are the gaps that we have in our um, societies and you know how can we make it more inclusive but the struggle that we have is there's a lot more emphasis on diversity, you know, yep, bring, we will bring a diverse group on board or we bring them in without actually considering what are the intersectional factors that they're experiencing and how can we accommodate that? How can we create a culture of belonging? Because what happens when we focus too much on diversity and bringing people on board because they look different or that's something we're supposed to do to, you know, tick a box is you re-traumatize those communities. Because they, mm -hmm. you are giving them, you're you're inviting them to have access, but you're not really deep diving into how that looks and how their existence looks. So, for me, I think if anyone's really in the space of inclusivity and creating a culture of belonging, step one is 
making the environment seem that way you know celebrate culture celebrate I, the identity of the different people that we're working with so in in school we used to do a culture show because we had this um, especially when I worked in schools abroad where majority of students might have been um it was an international school so majority of students were expats and so forth and to connect them to show to highlight the beauty of our individuality and what each student was bringing to the table with their experiences and their family even upbringing is different you know there's so many insights you can bring into a space so we every we celebrated um we got all the students to wear their cultural attire we had mcs that was talking about facts and certain prominent figures from that country just to give a sense of pride over our identity because what's yeah. been happening for so long is we've been marginalized to think the fact that we're different makes us second class citizens you know there's beauty in being a black woman there's beauty in being a woman there's a beauty in being a youth there's so much beauty in our individuality and i think celebrating that in that space will create will be a step forward to creating human centered systems that are bringing forward the needs of people and ensuring that you know we're much more connected rather than it being a superficial way of moving forward yeah you're you're that's so powerful um especially that that very very poignant point you say whether it's superficial or not and oftentimes it is when we're trying to check when we see the industry checking boxes uh, there's another uh side to your identity uh which is around spoken word poetry and this is something that you you share on on you know stages all over the world and i, I would love to hear this kind of you come from this very scientific background you talk about systemic change and now you're you're an artist uh and you're sharing your your views and your voice in this kind of beautiful art form how does that for you what does that what does that feel and how how do you see that effect kind of come about in the in the people you see? so with um my poetry is actually me voicing my voice so before i could create a space to voice other people's voices it's important that i also have a sense of self awareness of how i'm navigating things and because yeah. prior to me being empowered the way i am now i've always been silenced you know i've always had the sense of for me to be outspoken for me to be expressive for me to be creative no like you have to be serious you have to be a certain way you know i was really really living life in terms of a structured way but i feel like creativity and my poetry allow me to express and understand our social because most of my poetry is around mental health um experience my lived experiences other people's lived experiences my students lived experiences so it's my understanding of the world i'm putting that into in a way that i can connect with other people as well who might have had same or shared um lived experiences so for me it's my way of connecting and voicing my own voice to the wider yeah. community. I love it. Um and what do you think when it comes to advocacy work or kind of, you know, um amplification. So when again, I I I, re I repeat this this beautiful kind of uh alliteration, I guess, voicing voices. Um there are so many different ways to voice it. It doesn't have to be, you know, spoken, you know, it can be singing, it can be art it can be um you know physical artifacts of you know paintings and and stuff like that it could be anything um what what are the kind of through your your organization or even more broadly what what do you think the different mediums of art that provide us with the different ways or mediums of voicing our voices um 
what what's what what do these variations give us is there is it beautiful to have that variation and how how does it make it more or less differently affected i think variation is essential for me personally because variation allows us to explore it makes room for self-discovery it makes room for self-awareness it makes room to allow yourself to push yourself through the limits. And, and I think there's a sense of accomplishment you gain, especially as a creative where you, you feel, I think for me, especially with poetry, it's a feeling, it's, a, it's me, it's the feeling. And then that feeling can come out in different outlets. Cause sometimes I perform my poetry, but other times I write. And then other times I have conversations and I connect with people that are also in that space. So there's yeah. different ways of communicating that feeling. So I feel like the first thing is be one with that feeling and build a relationship with that feeling of creativity, that spark that you feel. Yeah. And then allow that to guide you to whatever outlet it is. Don't ever limit yourself to how you can do something. I think yeah. the first thing is the what and the why. What is it yeah. you want to do or what is it you feel more inclined towards or what is it that you feel connected to? Why do you feel connected to it? And then boom, let the magic just happen for itself. <laughs> let, let, the, let it flow, be in flow with it. Because I feel like with creativity, you get the most authentic, the most authentic creativity comes from being in flow and letting it be. I think what happens with life is we have to control a lot. We have to control mm -hmm. our time. We have to control our this or that. But when you're in that creative space, just flow. Yeah. And you, you, it kind of connects back to what you just said, right? This is poetry was your way to voice, voice, your voice, you know, it was your space. It was your medium. Um, and I think my, my next question follows up on that. Um, you know, there hopefully young people listening to this episode and they might be witnessing social injustice within their communities, within their schools or educational spaces. Um, and they want to do something about it. How, how do you go about this? So um, especially as, as, as someone who, who witnessed these challenges within a school as well, what do young people do to bring attention and, and support those who may be feeling left out or may, may be marginalized or disadvantaged in some way or the other? Um, I think step one is preparation. It's preparation. I, I believe in all possibilities, regardless of your age group, regardless of your background or what's, and I think that for me was the biggest breakthrough, understanding that anything that we set our minds to is possible. Anything we want is possible. And I've seen it happen with my students. I've seen it happen with colleagues. I've seen it happen with my clients that it's that un, unshakable belief of whatever possibility you want to create for yourself. And then preparing for that, I think for me, I assumed, you know, especially when I started my social enterprise, I didn't really have that much business. I didn't have a um, business background. So I had to do a postgraduate course, really understand how does innovation work? How does a social enterprise work? Where, mm -hmm. Who are the people involved in that space? And um, what has already been done as well? Yeah. Where are the gaps? And that's how I've been able to identify the fact that, you know, we've got so many gaps in so many different industries. For example, the tech industry, that's completely, you know, Pay, it's the foundation of our errors, the foundation of our digital areas, how we connect us, how we do so much on our day-to-day -day lives. And only, you know, less than 5% of leadership positions are held by women. Like how, do, how do, where's the representation in that? And by studying the tech industry and by studying business and by studying intersectionality and all these different things, I've been able to identify the gaps. Hmm. And that was my preparation 
to take action. So once you kind of understand going back to the what and the why, it's those two things are very important. Once you understand the way is that you want to add value to. And I feel like everyone can add value. Every subject, every sector can address social injustices because it's, it affects us all. So how do, how can you, once you figure out where these gaps are, what, what are your strengths and what tools do you have and what do you enjoy as well? I think when we're advocating for social justice, you can enjoy it. You can enjoy connecting with people. You can enjoy mm-hmm. advocating for what's right. It doesn't have to be, you know, it is, of course, we have to share the data. And I think when I first came in, especially with gender-based violence, I was very like, oh my gosh, why doesn't the world, you know, why isn't this being highlighted everywhere? I was talking about it and I became it to the point where I couldn't, I didn't have no work-life balance because I was so engulfed and so upset and angry at the injustice. But I think once you realize it takes time and I think patience and perseverance comes in as well, just being Mm -hmm. patient with the process as you're preparing, as your people are pushing back, as people are not understanding the message, as you'd like them to understand. Sometimes we have to find different ways of communicating with people before they understand Mm -hmm. our points of view. And that's another thing. So, and all that comes under preparation. And then when you do launch, resilience, just keep going, keep going, keep going, because you would have set the foundation of your what and your why, where you fit in and your role. So it's much more sustainable. That energy of making a difference and being an activist or a change maker, it's much more sustainable when your foundation of preparation is set. And then connect with people that also are very empowering. I think that's also your people that encourage you, people that can see a new future where we don't have to tolerate any form of injustice to any community. So the network around you is also very important. Mm. Talk about preparation and perseverance. I will also add another P to it, which is proactivity that you've represented for a long, long time as well. Um, Because you've gone through, you know, you've gone through a degree and then gone into an industry, then came back out of it, went for another degree uh, and then went out to get further kind of, knowledge and building your postgraduate degree to understand how to build out social enterprises and so you've continuously been you know knocking on doors asking for opportunities and you know you're representing and and looking to empower these marginalized communities and you're going out of your way to find opportunities to do so um and i think that's something that is so so critical as well you know you it things don't things like this don't fall into your lap you you have to put yourself out there over and over and over and over again and not take it personal as well. You know, it's not personal. Yeah. I think we're all trying to figure it out as human beings and we just, we have to learn to bridge that gap. And that's why I was bringing it just so to, to bring it to that. It's being more human centered and under, and having empathy and trying to understand other people's perspective. And then that way we can bridge the gap. We can't force anyone to bridge the gap. We can't force anyone to understand. It's yeah. just finding different ways of communicating till, till we come and we, till we, we're united against these injustices. Yeah. And you, you talked about this, uh, you know, setting up the social enterprise. How has it been for you? You've mentioned the statistics around tech, tech led businesses in the world right now. Um, but even as a, as a female entrepreneur, how has it how has that experience been for you? Um, and what are the, the challenges that, that still exist, the glass ceilings that still need to be shattered to to be able to give more space to to more female led initiatives, companies, uh, social enterprises, projects and organizations? I think at the start, because I didn't see growing up or due to being a first generation graduate, I didn't really see 
if I didn't see representation of me belonging yes. in the business yes. world. So when I initially came into it, I was I really struggled with, you know, um, perpetrator syndrome, which is, you know, me feeling less than when I came into the space and mm -hmm. me, um, uh, me being more vulnerable to like more microaggressions and demeaning natures of this whole this whole space. Yeah. And I, I stood in my own way. So I allowed myself to assume I didn't know what I was doing or I kept on kind of um, doubting myself. And that really impacted my confidence. It impacted how I came forward. And in addition to that, I didn't, because I was so keen on proving myself that I wasted a lot of energy that could have gone into other aspects of my business. You know, it was, I came into it saying, well, I have to prove myself. I have to, you know, tread carefully. I don't want to do, you know, it was just a lot. And, and it was a cause that I was really close to, you know, gender-based violence. How many, one in three women around us and girls are experiencing some form of gender-based violence or another. So, and I was hearing the stories and I was really deep diving into the data so it, it it just felt like a storm, I think, when I first started out. It was just a lot to take in. But yeah. once I balanced it out, did made sure that I was in the best position for with myself, with my that my energy and my balance was right, that I it allowed me to avoid a lot of challenges, such as people that might not share the same vision, such mm -hmm. as um not having the right structures and things in place to protect yourself as well. Mm -hmm. But it all requires you to sit down again, the preparation part the self-belief, know your vision and keep accelerating until you end up in a space where you do thrive and you do develop and you do have the impact that you do want to have because it's possible. It's just mm. navigating the space. Absolutely. We've come to the end of the episode. It's gone so, so quickly. But I have one last question before we wrap up and it's it's based on all your experience in the education space um, and, and your work as well. But in your opinion, what is one thing that should be implemented or changed in our education system? Agency, student agency. We've got leadership already. We've got young people that are leaders that have so many ideas, so much passion that can really drive the social changes that we're seeing, mm. that we want to see. So um, implement student agency into every aspect of the education system. I love that. It's the, it's the most amazing answer that I've got yet. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here, Ian. It's been a real pleasure to speak with you. Me. Thank you so much. Take, Take care. care. Bye.